Tabby. And I'm Caitlin, and today we will be discussing A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. After reliving the Hunger Games trilogy the last however many weeks we've been doing that, this was a little bit of a letdown for me. Mm-hmm. Because like we said, when we were rereading the trilogy, we were like, wow, these really hold up. Like, these are so mm-hmm. good and intriguing, and we can't re- wait to read the prequel. And the prequel fell flat. It just was not the same cal. Like, the writing itself wasn't bad. Like, it, it was well written. It was just, I feel like the content of the book was not, it was nothing. It was. It was, just it was giving nothing. <laughs> it gave me absolutely nothing. I actually ended up hating the the character more. Yeah. Then well, I already did. I'm trying to think, like, if I actually do hate him more or if I just still hate him exactly the same amount. And it's and like, it and was... that, it makes sense why you're like this. And, like, at no point were you ever good. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. He just has always been a little piece of shit. So. Yeah, you're just a, a true <laughs> villain. Um, I'm going to go ahead, before we give our ratings, I'm going to read the back of the book from Goodreads. It is the morning of the reaping that will kick off the 10th annual Hunger Games. In the capital, 18-year-old Coriolanus Snow is preparing for his one shot at glory as a mentor in the games. The once mighty House of Snow has fallen on hard times, its fate hanging on the slender chance that Coriolanus will be able to outcharm, outwit, and outmaneuver his fellow students to mentor the winning tribute. The odds are against him. Poor, poor baby. Uh, he's been giving the humiliating assignment of mentoring the female tribute from District 12, the lowest of the low. Their fates are now completely intertwined. Every choice Coriolanus makes could lead to favor or failure, triumph or ruin. Inside the arena, it will be a fight to the death. Outside the arena, Coriolanus starts to feel for his doomed tribute and must weigh his need to follow the rules against his desire to survive no matter what it takes. Basically... He is the most stuck-up, entitled character I've ever had the misfortune of reading about. Mm -hmm. Um, So, me personally, I gave this book a 7.3 out of 10. Um, Because, like I said, it wasn't a bad book. I did learn a lot of things. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of really cool foreshadowing to the series, which was fun to, like, go back and look at. Um, I just felt like this could have been, like, a short story. It could have been, like, a novella. And, like, she could have done novellas on a bunch of different characters instead of one pretty decently long book about the life and hardships of Snow. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. That would have been maybe a better use of her time. Um, I rated it a 7 out of 10 because, again, just kind of fell flat for me. Like, I was just questioning the whole time I was reading it what the point of this novel was because, like, I already knew before I read this book how much I hated the Capitol and how much I hated Snow. So I was just like, what is this adding for me? Um, I did appreciate like the cool like foreshadowing type things that that you already talked about but Mm -hmm. other than that I was kind of like okay nothing's changed for me and (laughs) like yep this is that makes perfect sense yeah moving on (laughs) exactly so let's talk about the characters we're gonna talk a lot about snow because his is the only point of view in this book Mm -hmm. which I thought was very interesting just I like I know it's all about like his past and like how he got to where he is I just really would have liked to see some stuff from other people's perspective in that time yeah that would have been cool but I mean it it was also interesting to look at it from the perspective of a capital child who was there during the war and like how it shaped him it was a very poetic book though because like there were a lot of really neat parallels from Snow to, like, as a as a young adult to the trilogy that we just did. And, like, it was fun to look back on it. So, like, having him, like, poison, or having Lucy, like, poison people to get through the Hunger Games. And then mm-hmm. him later on using that exact same poison to kill his enemies and, like, anybody standing in his way to, like, rising up in power. I thought that was awesome. That was. And that just goes to show that, like, even though we didn't necessarily 
enjoy this book as much as the others. It's still extremely well written. Yeah. Um, it really reemphasizes what we said about about Snow. Like he is just a very well written villain. But as an adult. As an adult, yeah, what pisses me off about this version of him, like this young version of him, is he just comes off as whiny. Um, I understand that he has been through it, okay, because he lived through the, like, the Great War or whatever, and he suffered for it, as everyone, all the civilians did, and I understand that would suck really bad. Um, However... (laughs) <laughs> he needs a fucking attitude adjustment and, and a reality check <laughs> and a reality check yes so let's talk about some things that he did that pissed us off so he is so caught up about whether or not he looks poor even though he literally is poor like for what for what because he lives in this like fucking capital and he's like i need to keep this little bullshit position that i have um so that i can just like keep contributing to this horrible society that fucked me over like but i i think if he hadn't done that though they really would have been like you don't have a place here because you don't have any power and it's like i think his name probably could only get him so far and he did see that later on in the book that his name only got him so far why does he feel like he has more right than anybody else to be successful? Like, is I guess what I was confused about because well, it's like he was just such a cruel child. Like, yes, and he acted like like his family name or whatever was so prestigious or whatever. And it's like clearly it's not. If you're like, right. if you if you gotta fight for it, have a stained dress shirt and shit. Like. It's just he thinks he's so much better than everyone, even though he literally is considered like the scum between the capital's toes. And so that just really pisses me off because he also like he's complaining about the food that he has. Like they have cabbage to make stew. And he's like, oh, boo hoo. Like I only have this food instead of like starving to death. Like that's the alternative. And I think what was so fucked up about that was he was like, just think of how much taller I could be if I didn't have to eat cabbage every day. And it's like, there are people literally fucking like dying in the streets. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. probably okay if you're not 6'4". Like, you're he gonna be all right. Like, so out of touch. And again, he is. He's a true villain. Like, he's just a piece of shit. And what's frustrating, I think, from a reader's perspective is you want there to be some sort of redeeming quality. Yeah. And you want to be able to empathize with him in some way or at least empathize with the the version of him that used to exist. And he just sucks. So There's bad. nothing to, like, feel sorry. Like, am I sorry that your parents are dead? Yes, that's terrible that that happened to you. Sounds like your parents weren't the best people, but, I mean, they were still your parents. But it's like, you do still have a place to live. You do still have food to eat. You are still getting the best education possible. And you're not being uh, thrown into the reaping with the other children from, right. like, from the districts. And just like his treatment of the like his peers too is just like flabbergasting to me. He's like, I have to smile and be kind to them because I know they're just little idiots and like mm-hmm. they don't know any better. And then like poor... How did you pronounce it? Sejanus? Sejanus? I think I thought it was Sejanus, like, when I was Sejanus, yeah. Like, is nothing but kind to him, and he was just, like, look at him trying to help me. Like, he thinks I'm, like, lower than him. Like, what? But then, on the flip side, okay, so at one point, he is, like, emotionally invested at this point in, like, Lucy Gray, and he's, like, apologizing to her for the Hunger Games. He's like, I'm so sorry you're in this situation. Like, I should at least try to quit, like, Sejanus. Like, he's kind of saying, like, Sejanus is better than him in that moment. But then it turns out that that's just all a crock of shit. Like, he doesn't mean any of it. Because immediately... He's like, I'm never gonna quit. (laughs) Yeah. And he was given the opportunity to help Sejanus and the rebels and, like, run away himself. And he literally was like did him no. so dirty so i just that's what just pisses me off is like nobody these people are not doing anything bad to him in fact these people are trusting him and they're like we see you you're a good person coriolanus and he takes that and he just like 
punches them in the throat for no reason. Like, well, would a good person do this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, and like just his mindset towards like the district people too. So it's like eventually he does realize that like, he loves Lucy, but his sense of love is so misplaced because it's more like an ownership type Mm -hmm. thing it's not necessarily like i want to be this person he's like i want to have full control over every aspect of your life and like this second that like someone else appears in her life he's like why 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 is this other person like talking to you um and like literally kills someone over it yeah there, so yeah, the freaking um thing that pissed me off the most is exactly related to that because Lucy Gray is like, she's interview night. She's trying to really impress the Capitol so she gets sponsors again, much like Katniss. She is just trying to survive, and so she sings her sad little song about leaving a lover behind back home at District Twelve, and Coriolanus gets jealous because he's like. Uh, no, um, I'm pretty sure everyone says that you belong to me because I'm your mentor. And so I actually own you and you are my girl and you cannot sing about having a lover back home. And so he's like, so fucking focused on whether or not she has a crush on him because he's like, this is like, I, I own you and I need to know that you also have a crush on me and it's like again we're looking at a teenage girl who has been thrown into a survival situation right um and that's exactly what happened to Katniss well so I'm just not realizing too like that is a hundred percent why Snow made Katniss like have the whole love triangle thing because he felt like he is just this scorned lover and like, he was forced to, like, put on a show, basically, for the Capitol. It was also unfair, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, so I want to make this young girl do it, too, just to humiliate yeah. her. Like, I was humiliated. Yeah. And it goes back to, like, how much do you think Katniss just reminded him of Lucy Gray? Like, she's yeah. from District 12, from the seam. There, We're going to talk later about how it's possible that Katniss is even, like, descended from the Covey or Covey, however we say it. And... I think that he just, in her, all he can see is his blinding rage Mm -hmm. that is directed at Lucy Gray. Well, and I bet that's why no other person from District 12, like, ever won again before Katniss. Like, I'm sure he had something to do with that. Yeah, he's just, like, like, specifically, like... Gave them every disadvantage. Yeah. He just, he sees a girl tribute from District 12, and he makes it his life's mission to, like, strangle them sick he's sick in the head he really is um again i'm not i'm not surprised i guess i'm just disappointed because i just wanted something we could latch on to and be like and, yep. and feel like conflicted over his character but nope well and it's like him poisoning himself to make it look like like he was a victim too makes so much more sense now mm-hmm. because this man is fucking neurotic. He was like, "Oh, what's it? What do I need to do to make this situation look really, really good for me? Even though I'm the one that caused it, I have to poison myself." Or it's like, "Okay, what do I need to do to make sure Sejanus's death is not pinned on me?" Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go back and attempt to hide and run. And then once it benefits me, I'll do something else. And so, like, he is freaking crazy. And he even says at the beginning that, like, he has, like, these compulsive thoughts. And he feels like it's a a big weakness. So he tries to, like, ignore them, but he can't. And so you slowly start to see, like, his, um, like, stability kind of crumble throughout Mm -hmm. the book. Because mostly from Dr. Gall who is, like, trying to show him, like, no, we're all just, like, crazy beasts. Like, yeah. just let it out. Just let it happen. Um, And then by the time we get to the end where he's running away with Lucy and he's, like, Lucy realizes that I killed Sejanus. Like, she's going to be out to get me. Like, she's been out for too long, which she did. Good for mm-hmm. her. But he's, like, I got to kill her. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's, he- like, two seconds before he's, like, I'm so excited to be running away with this woman that I love so much. Yeah, the love of my life. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, he walks out and he takes the gun with him. But Mm -hmm. then in his mind, he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be carrying the gun out here. Like, maybe this appears aggressive. Like, 
You grabbed that for a reason. Like, you were trying to be quit. You don't need to reason with your inner self. Like, you yeah. know why you did yeah. it? Yeah. Who are you lying to, Bestie? You're the only one out here. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Like, all all in all, piece of shit. Hate he's him. crazy. He's been, he's been awful from the get-go, turns out. Um, then we have Lucy Gray. I was hesitant about her at first. So... Uh, yeah, she's, I mean, she kind of rubs me the wrong way a lot I'm of like, times. like, girl, you're also pretty fucking crazy. She is, but, like, at least she's not a horrible person. Um, you're no. making a face. Okay. No, she's not, like, a horrible she's not person. horrible I also felt like she was a little bit of a coward in the games, oh, though. Like, well, yeah. she, she didn't actually fight anybody. <laughs> no, she's certainly, I mean, she acted cowardly in multiple instances but i can't fault her for that no i would have done the same thing she is a child in the hunger games so i get it i'm a little like confused about the covey people they kind of seem to be like nomadic and they just like sing for money i i don't know is that like the vibe you're getting is like they're kind of like just traveling performers and then they got like stuck in district 12 yeah, no, like, I, because I don't know how long they've been in District 12, but she didn't actually say, she said they, like, w- like passed through District 12 once, and they're like, now you can't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm assuming probably, like, towards the end of the war is that when they got trapped there, and they're like, yeah, everyone, like, you cannot leave here again. Mm-hmm. So best of luck to you. Um, <laughs> May the odds be ever in your favor. Yeah, but, like, 10 years is kind of a long time for them to still be there. And, like, she was pretty young when that happened, I guess. Yeah. And so for her to still, like, call herself, like, a like a Kobe, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. she grew yeah. up in District 12. But they very much, like, they do have their own, like, little sect yeah. and home in in the district. So in the same, actually. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? Yeah, I just, yeah. uh, they didn't really explain it very well, so. It was I'm not confusing. Sh- I'm not really you know, sure. But maybe it was just because, like, it was, it was obviously a foreign concept to everyone. Um, like, Especially Snow. Yeah, he was like, oh, I'm not familiar with this. And yeah, like, they really kind of, like, just took him in. Mm-hmm. They're very Which, trusting. If, if they're, like, a nomadic like people i'm sure like that's how they kind of grow their family anyway it's just like that's true they taking kind of on like more people, people. yeah because they ultimately they were like yeah like of course we trust this person if if lucy gray trusts him like we can trust him like um, we don't even have to change his name yeah they're like it already kind of sounds like a covey person i do think that like lucy gray is very smart and is going to somehow be related to what happens in the Hunger Games trilogy. It's pretty open-ended. We don't know, like, what role she plays, but there are some theories. And so I was like, oh, we'll talk about these in our discussion questions. I feel like if she didn't play a role in anything, they would have just said she's dead. Mm -hmm. Because Snow does not seem like the type of man who lets loose ends go. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, with how paranoid he is, like, you would think he would try to, like, go back and find her and, like, make sure that she never says anything about what happened that night, so. Yeah, he kind of was just like, oh, okay, guess I that need worked to go. itself out. Need to go home now. Uh, or go to the hospital, because I got bit by a snake. He's <laughs> um, <laughs> like, hope that's not poisonous. <laughs> yeah. But then... We'll talk about Sejanus. He is too pure for this world. He was our PETA. He was our PETA. Like, he just wanted to do the right thing. But everyone was like, no, you can't. Like, you can't do that. Um, His parents are shitty. The capital is shitty. He doesn't really have any friends, truly. He Snow said he was, was his, his friend. friend. <laughs> yeah. Which Sejanus just kind of, like, naively was like i'm gonna trust you we're friends now like i mean he kind of well even snow was happened like snow was like you're like a brother to me and i was like since when Mm -hmm. yeah like we know that you're lying 
I really, I, you know, I wish that Janus had been able to get out. I wish he had been able to escape. I hate that Coriolanus was so, like, suspicious of him the whole time. Because, yeah. really, you know, at the end of the day, it's really not any of his business. And, like, I know he didn't want to be attached to it. But if he hadn't been so fucking nosy, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have known anything about it. And so Janus would have done his own thing. Yeah, like, and I think what... I mean, obviously, it all comes back to Corey Lannis just thinks, like, the most important thing is control. Mm -hmm. And so, like, controlling whatever situation, like, whenever he gets uh, information about something, like, he's like, okay, how can I control this situation just to make sure that it doesn't come back and bite me in the ass? And so, he's so obsessed with controlling everything and making sure that he is unscathed, that he does not have any sort of care for what happens to anyone else and that's what happened with Sejanus and when Lucy Gray realized that she was like I gotta bounce because I could be next rest in peace king oh and what was even more fucked up is that like Sejanus died and Coriolanus is bringing like his stuff back to his parents he's like man I really hope his mom still makes me cookies yeah yeah I was like you know, I think we really need to reorganize our priorities. <laughs> so let's talk about Sejanus's parents, too. Speaking of that, that so that's Strabo, Plinth, and Ma Plinth. Obviously, Strabo's a real piece of shit. Terrible. And that doesn't surprise me. Like, he, he works for the Capitol. But, like, it feels like Ma enables him. Yeah. And so I don't like this whole, like, thing... Of like her being like, I'll take care of you, motherly, and yeah, like it's just gross. It feels like a slap in the face to her son's honor. And then, like when his Sejanus is dead, his parents are like, "Well, Coriolanus, I guess you're our son now because we (laughs) we have to replace him. Clearly, we have to replace our son. So, and I mean, you're in. That's that makes sense. How he rose up in power so fast. He had a freaking billionaire backing him, but. So I was just like, why, like, why do we need to replace your son? <laughs> They're like, you know what? We're going to buy your tower and we're just going to live right underneath you guys. So if you need anything, you just let us know. <laughs> it pissed me off so bad. Like, fuck you. Like, yeah, just forget completely about your son. Um, They're like, we got to go ahead and erase that little stain. And you know who else in this book? I just, I don't feel like was fully thought out. Um, is Casca Highbottom. Oh. Um, I liked the idea of his character, mm-hmm. but I don't think he necessarily, like, fit into the story. Um, it kind of just felt like some, like an added layer mm-hmm. um, because it's like, yes, he told Snow to join the Peacekeepers, but I really feel like that was kind of, like, the extent of the influence he had on his character. Like, I just, I don't know. I yeah, just don't feel the like only he... other, like, purpose he served for, like, moving the plot forward was when he explained to Snow that, like, oh, your dad is responsible for the Hunger Games because, like, he kind of, like, goaded me into coming up with it and then stole my proposal and turned it in behind my back. So it was kind of like that was the other plot point, but we could have written that in yeah so yeah i agree like his character felt kind of and then they just he was like well now you've served your purpose and i won't let you slander our family name so why don't you take your little morphine droplets and be on your way then it's like okay so do you not actually hold any power or yeah it's like what what do you do yeah <laughs> like if you're gonna let someone just kind of boss because you, like you let you let dr gall just kind of run the show even though you're the dean of this yeah school, but like you're not <laughs> doing your deanly duties here i would let dr gall do whatever because i'd be scared of her she is a scary lady let's talk about her <laughs> yes let's she i kind of frightening <laughs> like talking speaking of true villains and what something about dr gall though that like sets is set apart from coriolanus is like i kind of have like a bit more respect for dr gall yeah the reason being like she has a code that she lives by and she sticks to it it might not be right 
But Coriolanus Snow is a little weaselly piece of shit. He's just he's flip flopping sides and that he's like he'll do whatever he needs. And Doctor Gall's like, well, I'm gonna do whatever I need to, but I'm gonna make but damn you're sure gonna it's know. what I think is right. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, you're gonna know exactly where you stand. I can tell you that much. Right. Like Doctor Gall obviously is a a horrible woman. I am not saying that she is respectable because she's good in any way. I just think like. If you're going to be a villain, you need to commit. She was making shit happen. I'll give her that. Like, yeah. And she's I think like, eventually, I have... like Snow does too, like when he, yeah. when he rises to power. But... Well, that's because he had her as a mentor. It's like, yeah. what what else was he going to be besides Grey under her mentorship? Like, sh- I don't think she would have allowed any other option. Yeah, that's fair. She's like, hey, you're going to have to be a little more ruthless, kid. She wanted the Hunger Games to you know, truly be this spectacle. And we see that it has become that with mm-hmm. her partnership with Snow. He made sure her dreams became a reality. Yeah. Aw, how sweet. Yeah, uh, nice? <laughs> her talking in riddles, like, freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> like, the first one I read, I was like, oh, no, she's crazy. <laughs> and then, like, she gets up in front of everybody and she's, like, straight-faced, like, giving them nothing but facts and even snow is like what the fuck yeah (laughs) like no tell them that you're crazy you know you're crazy she's genuinely yeah is a a very scary villain and her little monsters that she's creating like uh now we know where the mutations come from yeah all like our thoughts and concerns discussion we'll talk about it i want to talk about like the scariest part of the book (laughs) yeah but we also have Tigress, who is Coriolanus's cousin. She also has been through all of these shitty things. Yeah. He's been and is still a good person. Yeah. Like, she still has, like, a set of morals that she's, like, we can't let these people get us down. Like, snow falls on top. Like, we got it. Like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, cuz. Uh, and then... Coriolanus has to do all this shit. She's probably like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, who have you become? Yeah. Well, and I mean, that goes to show, because we see how she ends up in the trilogy. Tigress, I guess, becomes a rebel and is the one that helps Katniss. And so that means at some point she must have separated herself from Snow, um, which I actually read a little bit. Like, there's like a theory that she started doing her body enhancements to look like a cat lady and mm-hmm. snow didn't want that associated with their family name. And so he had gotten her this position as um, one of the makeup artists for the hunger games, which I'm sure was like a huge point of contention for them too, because she seemed very, very against it. But then for him to, you know, completely shun her because it no longer fit his image just yeah. goes to show like, how yeah. little he actually cares for his family. He's a fickle bitch, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, he just doesn't know how to care for anybody or love anybody. Well, and he even says that he's marrying this one girl. He's like, because I know I'm never going to love her. And, like, how great is that? Yeah. He's like, just... yeah, pretty great. <laughs> and then grandmam. <laughs> what a problematic lady. <laughs> a problematic queen. But a grandmam is a good example of, like, you that. You kicky bitch. Like, Oh, she's so old, you know, there's no time to change her mind. So we can just kind of overlook all the horrible xenophobic stuff she says. And it's fine. That's who grandma is. We'll take care of you. It's like that racist grandma that everyone has. And they're just like, okay, grandma. And you can't say that. Grandma, that's inappropriate. And yeah. Every time, though, she would talk in the book, I could not help but hear it in like a Moira Rose accent. Oh my god, amazing. And that did not like, pop into my mind, but I love it. And that. it was so funny for me to read it. Um, but I was like, no, I don't want to What about the parts where she's like singing? Yes, I, I, <laughs> I read it in Moira Rose's voice. I love that. That's so funny. Now I want to go back and like read some of her lines and that oh, accent. Hilarious. And then last but not least, Snow's parents dicks a lot of them yeah like and we don't know anything really about his mom but okay let's first of all his dad for sure was a real dick because he is the one that stole um high bottoms hunger games like proposal and like turned it in against his back and or behind his back 
but his mother like snow only has like fond memories of her and i'm like i don't buy it i feel like it's kind of the same thing with sejanus's mom like Mm -hmm. just probably very enabling was just like this is the way things are yeah this is the way things are and that's my man and i'm gonna stand beside him yeah um yeah i don't trust it i'm sure she also was not great rest rest in peace i guess but yeah not trash. to speak ill of the dead but you're trash but you're trash i feel like if he had been raised in a loving home eh, things probably could have turned out a little different <laughs> um <laughs> perhaps let's talk about some thoughts and concerns because i have some i have some thoughts and also concerns Thanks. so i just want to talk about the foreshadowing throughout the book because like i said that was my favorite part of this book was those little easter eggs that she threw in and you're like oh my god I know that. Snow being gifted at DNA manipulation. One of the quotes I have down here is, although it was not his favorite subject, the smell of formaldehyde triggered his gag reflex and he loved working with a partner. He did sufficiently well in genetic manipulation to have landed a spot in the class. And so that plays a huge role in the future Hunger Games where they start to genetically manipulate um, like the tracker jackers, the mutations with like the eyes of the dead victor or the dead oh. tributes. And then like with the, his future work with like the Mockingjay, stuff like that, which I think was really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, like how he's just always hated the Mockingjays and then yes. it comes back. So that was some foreshadowing. Him kind of kickstarting that process to really monetize the games with like the betting and sending like the tributes food and like just making them all around more likable that is a huge part of the future hunger games where they want to like feed them and like dress them up and like really like have that emotional connection with the capital so that people are really really invested in the games which is super fucked up But before that, like, nobody was interested in it. Nobody wanted to relive the war. They wanted to forget and move past it. Um, And Dr. Gall was like, hell no. We ain't never forgetting this. This is my my love project. Yeah, like, get out of here. This is my life's work. And even Snow, like, when he felt like he had been wronged by Lucy Gray, he was like, yeah, fuck these guys. We got to keep this shit going. I'm going to make it better. Oh, and then Grandmam, she says, this is just the type of story that catches fire. I was like, slay? Okay. I loved that. Lucy coming up with the Hanging Tree song, which was, I mean, a huge part of the Mockingjay book um, with Katniss singing that on live television. I am sure that just really ground Snow's gears because initially... She had created that song for Arlo, who was the the person hung at the hanging tree um, and made kind of a spectacle. And then eventually when Lucy sings it, Snow realizes that she's also talking about him a little bit when she asks three is like the maximum number of people she'd ever want to kill. He was like, haha, yeah, me too. And she's like, who else did you kill? Mm -hmm. And he was like, nobody myself and then she's like oh shit um and so she starts singing the hanging tree so that the mocking jays will continue to repeat it over and over and over to him to know that she knows who mm-hmm. he is yeah. um i loved that part you smart girly um yeah those were some cool foreshadowing pieces yeah and then the the last thing actually you had you wrote here but um that lucy gray was going to search for katniss Oh, I did have that at that point. So that was like really funny too, because it's like, it's kind of foreshadowing, like, here's this whole like unraveling that's about to come his way. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a long time, but yeah. Well, and just the fact that he loses Lucy Gray um, completely when she's looking for Katniss and then Katniss is born, you know, however many years later. And he was like, you, yeah, you. you're going to be a problem. <laughs> And you're from District 12. And that would make sense why if we're going to talk about who we think her grandma is, if like that's why they named her Katniss, because mm-hmm. it's kind of yeah. a little slap, slap in the face. Honestly. Yeah. So um, a couple concerns to follow our thoughts is for one, I couldn't get over how silly the Kobe name sounded. I kind of felt like it was annoyingly silly. Um yeah, but- <laughs> And I guess that's fine, but it was distracting to me a little bit. 
like you gotta pick a song and then pick your favorite color that's your name now yep I mean it felt like you were playing some kind of game with like third graders on the playground but yeah um the scariest part of the book (laughs) for me so this is after uh Dr. Gall basically like tricks Clemencia into reaching into like the mutated snakes pit and she gets bit and like is immediately dying and so Coriolanus is upset because (laughs) that was just like not a pleasant thing to witness and also he was like oh shit like because he knew she was lying but he didn't realize like she was gonna die for it yeah so he's just kind of like he's panicked he's stumbling through the game makers labs to like get to her or like get out and go to the hospital and he comes upon this lab that has a bunch of avoxes in cages and they just have like animal body parts sewn onto their bodies and they're all like screaming but they don't have tongues and so it's like a horrible horrible sound and then like the the scientist that's in there is like you're upsetting the birds and I was like, I so <laughs> like, give me that book out of here. <laughs> like, that is the scariest fucking thing I've ever read. That's scarier than any horror novel I've ever read. Yeah, like, that, that is chapter. Really upsetting. It was haunting. <laughs> well, and just like, too, like with Clemencia, like she starts growing fucking like snake scales. Yeah. And like, she has the flu you'll need to come back and she's like over there fighting for her fucking life and like yeah. going crazy and she's got like these weird twitches now and they're like oh bummer side yeah, effect bad, of that flu case of the flu yeah I hate that for you girly i had two more things written down that i forgot to put on oh this yes document. so i think it is so funny and what a huge slap in the face for coriolanus that how 65 years later they use district 13 as the rebel base camp because Mm -hmm. the reason why they have fallen upon destitution is because they only invested in district 13 that is solely where their family investments were and so whenever they bombed it they lost everything Mm -hmm. um so that was some sweet foreshadowing and then the other thing that i thought was really fucked up is that they do the reaping on the fourth of july yeah and i caught that and i was like oh yeah that's messed up that was kind of funny and i feel like that was suzanne collins way of saying like yeah this is about dystopian america mm-hmm. <laughs> like you like, you guys are you're correct in your assumption that this is it is this is a political it, statement is this play about us <laughs> <laughs> is this fucking play about us so let's talk about the symbolism because suzanne loves her symbolism and we love her and we love her so snakes all right. First of all, the title, A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So snakes symbolize betrayal and death in this book. So a few places where the, this is represented is at the very beginning in the reaping, Lucy Gray puts a snake on Mayfair. Um, and that's actually what get Cory that's what gets Cory Lannis's attention. He's like, that was kind of hot. Uh, yeah. and that's not what he thought, but he did he did pay attention. He's like, um, maybe we're not screwed. So Lucy Gray had found out that Billy Tope was cheating on her with Mayfair, the mayor's daughter, and so she was betrayed and um put the snake on Mayfair as like sort of a, an omen of sorts. It's like I know, but also. It is heavily implied that Lucy Gray was chosen in a a rigged fashion. That Mm -hmm. because um, Mayfair is the mayor's daughter, that she somehow made it to where Lucy Gray got, you know, got reaped. So that she was just out of the way, which is horrifying. And kind of makes me glad that Mayfair is dead a little bit. Also, the mutated snakes that Dr. Gall used to suss out Clemencia's lie, those were heavily <laughs> representing death in that sense. And also symbolizing that aspect of snakes that's like really sneaky and, um, mm-hmm. you know, like wise and and just kind of knows how to attack the enemy. Um, also, at the end, Lucy plants a snake to attack Coriolanus. Once she realizes she can't trust him, she leaves her scarf behind in a bush as like a little beacon. And when he goes to touch the scarf, she has planted a snake there to attack him. 
And I really loved that part because it like she was clearly betrayed by him and then betrays him right back using a literal snake. And I like that he was just like, oh my God, do you think it's poisonous? And I, I know. Like, yeah, I think you got some other stuff to deal with right now. He like starts throwing up on the ground <laughs> immediately because he's having a panic attack. Um, it's embarrassing. Really. He's a weak man. Truly. Uh, but then President Snow becomes a snake personified in his rise to power, like later in the trilogy, and he betrays and poisons his way to the top. And then the songbirds or mocking jays are another huge symbol. So Lucy Gray and the Covey, they are all songbirds, and so are the mocking jays. And so that kind of like causes the Covey to feel like a sense of camaraderie with the mocking jays. They sing with them in the woods. And Lucy Gray says it's not over until the mocking jays sings, which very heavily foreshadows Katniss Everdeen becoming the mocking jay and ending mm-hmm. President Snow's uh rule. And another thing about Snow is that he immediately felt uneasy uh when he saw mocking jays and his first instinct was we have to kill these. Because for him, like, control is such a fundamental element to having power. And he really felt that the Mockingjays are symbolizing a weakness of the capital because they failed this experiment and lost control of it. And he ends up being right, of course, because the Mockingjay is what takes the capital down. So he doesn't realize that he's right, but he he, he will. definitely will. And it'll feel it'll feel real bad. And then Snow, Snow White symbolizes purity and innocence. And the song that Lucy Gray is named after actually details the death of Lucy, who gets lost in the snow and freezes to death, which uh, would have foreshadowed her own fate had she continued to blindly trust Coriolanus. And then lastly are the roses, which we see in the trilogy as well. But, um, as a child for Coriolanus, the roses symbolize like um, like wealth and uh, status, basically, because his, it's like the one thing that Grandmam has still that like is luxurious and she'll let him wear a rose for a special occasion. But then like later on when he becomes President Snow, like he's always wearing a rose because at that point he's risen to power and he it's a symbol of of wealth and status to him so he's always wearing one well and so you know how like he he always kept his mother's like compact with him and stuff Mm -hmm. they say later that he genetically modified the roses to have like that certain smell and so i bet it's like the same scent as his mother's powder yes and every time he smelled it he would think fondly of his mother who i'm (laughs) sure was so innocent and never did anything wrong that's right so yeah, that's the symbols in in this book. And we have a couple discussion questions. So this theory I actually saw, I did not come up with myself, but there are some people who think Lucy Gray is actually Alma Coyne or that Alma Coyne is maybe the daughter of Lucy Gray. Ooh. So what are your thoughts on that one? I mean, it never really specifies how old Alma Coyne is, like, in the Hunger Games trilogy. So I think it's all dependent on age, but I do love that theory mm-hmm. because it's like, where did she come from? Yeah. You know? And why like, is she, why is she so, like, obviously we know why she hates Snow, but why is she so willing to, like, you know, because we were talking about how with President Coyne, she wanted to just throw things the complete opposite direction. Yeah, she wanted that full control. And it really just kind of felt personal because, like, as you're not doing what's best for the people as a whole right. at that point. And we had a huge discussion about that, like, about mm-hmm. how really she just wanted to be the one in power and control. Right. So if she was Lucy Gray, that would make some more sense to me because it's kind of like I just specifically am invested in ruining president snow's right power which i mean she definitely had the <clears throat> skills and know-how to do that because she's very smart mm-hmm. uh, but i could also see like if it were her daughter and like lucy had told her like about 
her past because they erased that year of the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. Like nobody remembers her being a tribute. And so if Lucy had told her daughter about like what truly happened and that kind of kickstarted like her passion for taking down the Capitol, running it herself, just to have that retribution for her family, um, that would make sense too. Mm -hmm. Because she also would be like heavily invested in anything anti-Snow. Because like... Snow's old as fuck by the time we get to the Hunger Games trilogy. I mean, he was 18. It was the 10th Hunger Games. So, like, 64, 65 years had passed since then. So, he's 83. Yeah, so he's he's an old man at this point. Um, And I think, like, Alma Coyne was younger. And so... Yeah, I think the... Yeah, so maybe the daughter theory can hold some water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like yeah, it. I, that's an interesting one. I do like that. Here's another theory. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on this. Katniss is descended from the Covey on her dad's side. Um, so her dad was from the seam and knew all the places in the woods that the Covey did, as well as having a really good singing voice and already knowing all their songs. So unless like the because Co- the Covey got shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so unless people were there, they probably didn't remember the songs that they sang in the hub unless they were family members of the Kobe. Yeah. Yeah. This one, I, I will say like this, I saw, um, people think specifically Maud Ivory as Katniss's grandmother. Mm. And I, when I was reading it at first, I thought maybe Katniss was descended from Lucy Gray when these things were kind of showing up but then of course lucy gray at the end disappears so that kind of like you know takes takes Mm -hmm. that with it but yes i was thinking that there's a good chance that her dad was descended from the covey and for all of those reasons and so i think like also what what wouldn't matter for the future is like that's a big part of why snow was so quick to to see katniss everdeen like, first of all, the name Katniss, like you're saying, is probably a slight. Mm-hmm. Also, when she's singing, because when she sings to Rue, she sings the lullaby that Lucy Gray sings to Coriolanus when they're in the meadow. Yep. And so he is probably like, holy fucking shit. Like, it's her. It's her. It's my mortal enemy, a 16 year old girl. And so that's where things like really spiral. Like, there was no hope for Katniss. She didn't know any of these connections existed. And she didn't know she was doing anything rebellious when she was doing these things. And so she just got so sucked into something that wasn't her own fight. Right. And, and here's why because Snow was so emotionally invested in these events that happened 65 years ago and now here well, like, it's my chance to ruin her and crush her at the beginning of the book too um there's this quote and it says that snow had a tendency toward obsession that was hardwired into his brain it would likely be his undoing if he couldn't learn to outsmart it uh, yep <laughs> yep well also this was actually in the trailer for the movie but i'm pretty sure it happened in the book too um when lucy gray gets done performing her song that like kind of captured everyone's attention she like bowed to the audience and like it caused like a huge uproar and then Katniss later on when they made them like perform in front of like the panel of judges um Mm -hmm. like on their different um skill sets and stuff after she she shot shot the apple she bowed just like that yeah she did yeah with a big like dramatic flourish Mm -hmm. yeah like all sarcastic like yep No, genuinely, I think he was so, like, immediately recognized how, like, she must be related to the Kobe. Mm -hmm. And so, like, she was never going to escape his attention. But then whenever, whenever things actually started popping off and people were rebelling in her name, he was like, well, wonderful. So I have an excuse to to ruin this child. (laughs) And that he did. And he sure did. For life. She's ruined for life. Yeah, he he did. He's successfully ruined her life. Well, and, like, it also is funny, too, because, like, Coriolanus, at the end of the book, was, like, made a promise to himself to never lie to Lucy again. And then ends up, like, going to kill her. And, like, that is one thing that he told Katniss, too, was that there would never be any lies between them. Yeah, actually. Oh, my God. 
Wow. So he made good on that. Yeah. Damn. I'll give him I'll give him that. He didn't lie to her. Yeah. So that's the thing is like there are some things that he's not willing to um to compromise, it seems, like as far like regarding his character, but they're so they're but so he can certainly look past some things. They're so minuscule that it's like, yeah, you're ultimately you're still a real piece of trash. Long story short, the book was was decent and it it was kind of fun to analyze and look at the foreshadowing things, but yeah, that was kind of the extent of my excitement to discuss this book. Unfortunately, Same. it just kind of didn't it didn't hit the way that the trilogy hit. <laughs> just didn't slap, you know. Yeah, it didn't it didn't fuck. It just kind of like banged a little <laughs> bit. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. Join us in our discussion of the movie adaptation of this book, uh, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. We're going to kind of dive into some of the casting and like other other things about the movie. And then to kick off spooky season. So we're actually going to do a couple mini-sodes back to back. Um, and then we're going to have like a really nice little series to end October. Yeah. Uh, but we are going to kick off the season by discussing spooky book talk recommendations that we keep seeing it. We're really excited to read. Yeah. So a couple weeks of minisodes, but then the books that we're doing in October are The X-Hex and The Kiss Curse by Rachel Hawkins. And they look extremely cute and like fluffy kind of, you know, like we just need something like that. Yeah, we need something lighthearted after all of this like murder and and sadness that we just read about. So and like child imprisonment. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, (laughs) I'm sure you guys feel the same way. So go ahead and get prepared for those discussions. We'll talk to you next time. And as always, let's get lit. 